0: Hi, and welcome to another backstage pass. It is so fun backstage. We find out all kinds of things, and it's not backstage anywhere. It's backstage at the Boscov's Berks Jazz Fest. My name is Joe Painter. I want to thank the uh, Berks Arts Council for making this series possible. Jazz Fest is coming up, and if you're watching this in August, you missed it, but you know what's cool? It's coming up again next year. It happens every year in late spring here in Berks County. How are you doing, Gerald? I'm
1: doing well, (laughs) Joe. You guys time. gonna mess that name up, didn't you? No, I have total <laughs> confidence in you. I'm glad to be here. It's always fun talking to you.
0: It's fun talking with you as well. Gerald Beasley is with us. And um, you are, I'm going to say, a perennial favorite. We mm. often have you back here because you have been, over the years, um, not only a staple with Jazz Fest in terms of all of that you do performing, but with coordinating educational programs and boot camps and things like that, kind of behind the scenes or mm. backstage. So I got to thinking about, my, I think I know everything about Gerald, but I don't. Mm. I'm certain that I don't. And I got curious about your journey,
1: Mm.
0: your music journey. Um, You started playing when you were a kid, right? Yep. And at what point did you say, I'm going to do this for a profession?
1: Mm. So I started playing. At the age of 12, my dad bought me a bass for Christmas, mm-hmm. which was a miracle to me. I didn't know that we had money to buy basses I and things have my like own that business. I was a, a long time ago. And uh, I uh, played in the neighborhood and it was great because um, I didn't necessarily grow up in a musical family but a family that really loved music and mm-hmm. loved dance and any old day was an excuse to have a party in the house. Nice. So as soon as I got my bass, uh, there were two things. Number one is I, I had to study, so I had to take lessons and learn to read music. That was a requirement. And then the other thing I realized is that when you have an instrument, you can start a band. So even at Did the you age, do that? Yeah, found other kids in the neighborhood. We rehearsed in the basement. Then when it got too loud for my basement, we go to another basement. Um, and I did that all through you know middle school and high school, and then went. To college and decided to get serious about my life and put the base away. Oh and, really? Yeah I decided when I say get serious I never thought of it as a vocation it's just something that I loved you know and uh, I was on a totally different tra- total different track. I. Uh,
0: what were you going to be?
1: Well so <laughs> I went to University of Pennsylvania I got two scholarships one the first one was to be an engineer Mm. Yes, that was money that was not spent very wisely at all by the university.
0: <laughs> I can make a connection for you if you want me to, but no, I'll go with that. Go ahead.
1: But I, and actually, I ended up in the political science department studying political science oh, the, and, wow. and philosophy. That was, uh, I, I like that. And in my third year, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And uh, um, it was really a. Now, I can look back now and see that I, I went through a, a sort of a depression. Yeah. I'm a little, I didn't think of it at the time as that, or but it was kind of dark for me because um, I needed so much more time with my ba- dad to learn yeah. to be a man, to learn yeah. all these things that you're supposed to, to know. And now I'm the one that has to make funeral arrangements and figure out things and I'm a young, I'm a young person. So okay. I, what I did was I sort of went into a shell and didn't communicate with anyone. But I went and got the bass out of the closet and started playing.
0: It was a connection to him, he gave it to you.
1: It must have been. I think that must have been what it was. Um, but it made me, um, I guess I was processing it without knowing how, mm-hmm. and it made me feel so much better that I realized that there's something special about music, what it does um, in a healing kind of way. Mm-hmm and listening to music and playing it. And I thought wow, the vocation of a musician is different than what I thought it was. It's actually serving on the other side. I thought wouldn't it be cool to be somebody who makes that music that helps people kind of get through tough times. Wouldn't that be really cool? That was the turning point for me, to take that music had a different purpose. It wasn't just fun anymore, but it had a purpose.
0: That's really interesting because I think we often, when well, we think musicians, and you know, I can play the bass, and like you said, I have a garage band, and I got my friends together, mm. and then we go to stage, and glamour, and oh, I could be that rock star or whatever that is. But that wasn't your motivator; it was to heal other people. Yeah, and even That's now, beautiful. I
1: try to be aware. Even now, that when people come to a concert, you never know what burdens they're bringing inside the door. Mm-hmm. There are people who are going through divorce and through, you know, difficulty with their kids and illnesses, serious illnesses, and uh, we're there to serve them for whatever brief period of time. Maybe it's something um, meaningful. Maybe it's just a brief respite for seventy-five minutes. Put the burden
0: down. Yeah, maybe yeah.
1: it's that. But in in whatever length of time and whatever depth it is, is meaningful to people. It's more than just entertainment or fun, but it's, it's something. The other thing I realized about it, and someone, actually an economist taught me this because I, I said, well what is the value of music? He's, you know, it, you, It's not necessarily tangible in the way that other things are in a society in terms of the exchange of money for right. things. Right. Not, not the same way. But what music does is, and the arts do, it's, it creates an experience for a person that they can't create for themselves. So mm-hmm. someone who comes to see my, my concert, they can vicariously experience music. the making of the music in watching me. You know? And that's very, very valuable. So those are a couple of things that I think about. The service of it, and also that you know, there are people who would love to be able to, to create. And every, not everyone is going to necessarily create a, a work of music, but it's a high responsibility to do it the best I can. For those folks who don't necessarily have that particular skill or gift,
0: I got to tell you, Gerald, you just threw me a curveball because you did. I mean, no, I know you did, but just listening to that story, because in in my mind, mm-hmm. the audience, I'm an audience member. I yep. don't compose, I, I don't have that gift, um, but I'm, sh- I'm I'm watching it, so I'm I'm consuming it from you, and I'm thinking that you, the musician, mm-hmm. is evolving along the way so that maybe your intention for creating music and your motivation is very different as a teenager and then in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s Mm. and i would have anticipated that your motivation is exactly as you said in your 40s and your 50s but not as a young man. Hmm. So that wisdom started early with you. Is it fair to say your it doesn't sound like your motivation has necessarily profoundly changed in terms it, of your craft?
1: It hasn't changed but um, I think like anything else you have to constantly pull yourself back. You can From use, what? Well um, we're we're in a business,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So the business has needs. We're in an industry that is, it's always hungry for the next thing. You know, oh, it wants okay. the new thing, it wants the next thing. It doesn't always want the best thing. So, you know, our responsibility or my responsibility is to remember, to remember what brought me there in the first place and get back to that. You know, and sometimes it takes more effort than other times. But that's, that's my responsibility remember that.
0: I can tell that you honor that responsibility mm-hmm. in the different things that you've done and I think many have participated in some of those things here at the Boscov's Jazz Fest. Education is important to you and, and providing a space where others can grow. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand you do something like that at this, is it the South Side Jazz Parlor? Am I saying it wrong? You are the (laughs) wrong that's good. (laughs) So it's called
1: South Jazz Park. Not
0: Southside, South Jazz Jazz Park. most of
1: the time, now we just refer to it as South, is a pretty brand new venue in Philadelphia. And uh, the proprietors of the venue, they've had a number of jazz clubs and restaurants through the years. One was the legendary Zanzibar Blue. Oh, I remember that. I remember Zanzibar. So this is their latest venture. And my wife and I, Roxanne, my lovely wife, uh, she and I produce this series that occurs every week, it's called the Unscripted Jazz Series, and uh, it happens typically on Thursdays, and an occasional Thursday and Friday. And the point is that we've realized through the years that a lot of our peers, uh, these musicians who make a living playing smooth jazz, that what they actually do is so much broader and richer and that they love all kinds of music. So the Unscripted Jazz series is designed to give folks when they want to have the time to let their hair down and do something different, it gives them the chance to experiment and try things that their fans wouldn't necessarily uh, um, be accustomed to seeing them do. So for example, we've had Marion Meadows there playing Miles Davis. We've had uh, Chuck Lowe playing Wes Montgomery. We've had, uh, uh, let's see, recently we had uh, Kim Waters playing tenor saxophone, playing John Coltrane.
0: So they're shaking up not only they're their style, sh- but their, their instrumentation sometimes. It, yeah,
1: yeah. And it's, it's cool too, because if you have an audience that loves you and, and has followed you, but maybe they've heard you do the same thing many, many times, this gives you a chance to surprise them with something they might not know that you do. You know what's cool about
0: that? I mean you're we have everybody in a box. We're all in boxes aren't we? In our own individual boxes so you are this kind of musician but as a musician at home in the basement you're doing all kinds of different things and you've provided that space to just go ahead and let them do it in public and step outside the box for everybody audience and artist.
1: Yeah well you know I think just generally in a time we're living in a time where the gatekeepers right they they really can't find the locks and keys anymore thank goodness <laughs> you know where people really can give themselves permission to try all sorts of things yeah. you know it's yeah. like uh and and i think we need to seize those opportunities so i've been fortunate enough to create just one opportunity to get, get let people try something different and here's the cool thing um sometimes as an artist you can your success can corner you Mm. to where you become afraid to try new things because it
0: might not be successful right but yeah. we
1: found that the audiences are just eager and excited and are trusting and i think that's really where is funny. it where's the south <laughs> jazz park
0: and this is thursday evening so yeah thursday. i gotta go yep where so the,
1: the um website where you can find information is Southrestaurant.net. okay and it's located in downtown philadelphia
0: and it's Every Thursday night, stepping Every outside Thursday the night. box, yeah. and I, I gotta have a look see at that. <laughs> and I believe there's gonna be kind of a mini South Jazz Parlor in the Double Tree for Jazz Fest.
1: That's very exciting. So, for the first time, uh, we're using the Double Tree to create this kind of nightclub experience. There are gonna be 13 major concerts
0: mm.
1: at the Double Tree, and we're gonna brand it as the South Jazz Parlor at Burke's Jazz Fest. Got Dr. Lonnie Smith coming, got Pat Martino coming. Uh, and Chuck, I mean, uh, Rick Braun, who we, we mentioned, oh, he's is doing tribute. something different. He's going to perform the music of Chet Baker. Yeah. so It's a it's, good show. It's a great show. Yeah. And are
0: you stepping out of the box on stage at all this year, or you're just...
1: Well, you know, I'm always out of the box. I <laughs> which one? <laughs> so, one of the hats that I wear during the jazz fest is also hosting the jam sessions. The which is the jam. best
0: out of the box fun ever because yeah. you never
1: know what's going to happen. You're never quite sure who's going to show up. It's always a lot of fun, and those happen on uh, both weekends during the festival. It happens at midnight, and man, it's just you gotta come.
0: I know you gotta come out. Don't go to bed. Go to the midnight jam. Go to the midnight jam. It's
1: fun. We have we have food there. We have. I'm gonna sleep (laughs) until one o'clock one
0: of (laughs) those afternoons so that I can. We have chocolate. Do you
1: like chocolate? Oh,
0: dark chocolate. (laughs) Yes, we got it all. But (laughs) you know,
1: I like those sorts of things. I'm a I'm a pretty spontaneous person. So all this, all these things that I'm doing now, kind of work together in some strange way.
0: Thank you for doing them as part of Boskovsberg's Jazz Fest, and thank you for sharing the story oh, here on the People pleasure. Chronicles. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. My pleasure,
0: Gerald Peekley.